Welcome to the Sarah Centrella Show. Join best-selling author, master life coach, and manifesting expert Sarah Centrella as she shares tips, tools, and inspiring interviews to help you create your dream life. It's time to hustle and thrive. Now, here's your host, Sarah Centrella. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Sarah Centrella Show. I could not be more excited for today's show um, for so many reasons, you guys. First of all, this is the premiere of season two of the Sarah Centrella Show, so that is that is exciting. Um, but today's guest is so special to me that it's, it's one of those just universal magic things um, that we are connected and about to have this conversation. Um, and before I introduce you, I just want to give a little bit of background story. So, you know, I have been following her since 2005. I have been living Ooh. out, yes, I've been living out her, her tips and tools and methods. And like, they saved my butt the last 13 years as a single mom. Um, and so the fact that I have the one, the only Nanny Frost on the show, um, welcome to the podcast, Joe. I am so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much, Sarah. I mean, you've just hit the nail right on the head there. You know that the work is is about empowering. And so when I hear beautiful, you know, beautiful, um, uh, you know, what, you, what you've managed to achieve and accomplish with your own family, you know, um, you know, you're doing the right thing every day, you know, so I appreciate it. Oh, girl, I am telling you, you know, how people always say, oh, you know, there isn't a, a manual for having kids or there isn't a manual for being a parent. And I want to say wrong. <laughs> Joe Frost is your manual. She's written, you know, four books. She has six TV shows. She's a super nanny from uh, ABC and now on Lifetime. Um, and here's what I love so much about what you you know, teach. And I learned just through watching the show, um, is that it works. It works. Like you know, it, seems it, to be, and it works. It seems to be something that, and I didn't really quite catch on until I understood more about the culture of America. Right. But I would, I would hear people say to me when I, you know, I mean, I've spent seven years um, I spent seven years doing uh, the Super Nanny show before I came back and did another season. But seven years of 23 episodes, which, you know, wow. now with eight seasons would be like 16 seasons. Yeah. Um, and, and would travel in, you know, entirely around the USA. And people would say to me, um, Joe, I've tried your technique and it works. Yeah. And, and I would look and say, well, of, of course, course it does. It does. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give you something to try. I'm going to give you something that's going to work, not to try it out. And it wasn't until I started to watch the commercials, I started to watch, you know, how people could talk a good game but not walk a good game. Yeah. But actually, yeah. a lot of American people were sold on the hype that something would work. And then there was this culture of like, take this pill and you'll lose 30 pounds in three days. Put this mascara on and your lashes will be two inches longer in one week. Right. You know, and, and then I realized that every, you know, that, that Americans weren't used to being just 
um, told the truth and a direct conversation where they had the ability to be educated, to make those choices and really truly empower themselves to make a difference and feel bloody brilliant about the journey they were on that made up for the times that felt so tough and so difficult as a parent, you know, yet rewarding on so many levels. And, um, you know, that was quite a shock in the beginning. And then, you know, afterwards I, I realized, um, yeah. you know, why. You're so right. It is definitely a cultural thing. I think everyone is so used to having big promises kind of unfulfilled, at least culturally here. And, and also what I love so much about everything you teach is that it's simple. You know what I mean? Like you can get behind, yes. it and you can say, I might feel like a super overwhelmed parent, but I, I remembered this one technique. It didn't look that hard. I could try it, you know, and you try it two or three times. You're like, wow, I, I feel pretty good about myself. I just got my kid to do something they never yeah. did before, you know, and it, like you said, it's so empowering. Um, but before that's we, the key though, Sarah, oh, I yeah. think that's, you know, I think that's the key, Sarah, like life can be complicated with many layers and, and to be able to really help parents, you got to uncomplicate it, make it simple, easy to digest, tangible, because there's enough already going on in parents' lives. And when you can break it down into these steps that make sense, you get better follow through, more parents are motivated. And with the consistency, you get the success, you know, that's what's important. Yeah, absolutely. I have so much to, to dig in with you. But one of the things that we always kind of start off with on this show, because I am so fascinated about people's backstory um, and how they they get to the success that they're at, uh, what the journey looks like, because I know, you know, it always looks really good when you, when you see the final product, which is you on TV, you having season after season of success, but everybody starts somewhere. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit of how you got started? How, how this whole journey began for you? Well, I'll start by saying the success is not being on TV. You know, the success was not you know, having a TV show, it was, you know, uh, an opportunity um, presenting itself with the experience that had been, you know, well garnered and, and um, worked for, you yeah. know, so I'd spent already 17 years in the parental arena, helping families of different backgrounds, dynamics, um, situations, you know, um, I was a professional nanny, um, and, you know, really um, not in the same sense that, again, America sees nannies, you know, as a mother's help, as the help. Um, but actually, you know, a professional nanny is a dedicated, proud career for, for many who right. want to be involved in childcare and understand that. So I started off with a lot of life experience uh, working for many different families, you know, and children and troubleshooting. Um, and it led to the um, to the opportunity to privately consult and to help families, um, not just in troubled times and challenges, but for advice, for the expertise, for the wisdom, uh, because by then, you know, a lot of hours have been put in. And of course, um, you know, there were 17 years under my belt. Um, so, you know, it's it sort of became it organically morphed into uh, the opportunity that arised uh, with helping families on the super nanny show and um, you know a, a production company had this idea that it would be great to 
have somebody with the expertise to um, help families, but they weren't really too sure of what that format was going to look like. And um, basically, I said, look, this is what I do with families when I go in and I help consult. You know, this is this is what it looks like professionally. Um, and so you sort of you saw it unfold, basically what I was doing um, right. off off camera before the world saw me do it on camera. Right. Wow. Uh, under the guise of the Super Nanny show. And, um, you know, we did shows and helped families in the UK. And then I had the opportunity, obviously, to come and uh, do the same in America under the ABC umbrella with the network there and it sort of all took off from there which then gave me a completely different platform because by then um, the show was a worldwide um, hit you know and was making an impact uh, with families um, across the world so you know that's really how it it, it came about so it was a a lot of graft a lot of wisdom and experience um, beforehand and then with that experience and opportunity I was able to you know, springboard with a lot of others who worked hard, crew, those that believed in the work that was being done, you know, and a collaboration of really us being able to take, um, you know, my skill sets and expertise and wisdom around America and co-between doing America and the UK. Because I was, you know, at that time helping families um, in both countries personally and then doing worldwide seminars around the rest of the world, like in Dubai or Australia right. or wherever I was, you know, in the rest wow. of Europe. Well, you know, there was, there's two things that you said there that I just love so much. And we talk about a ton on this show because my personal, um, my first book is called Hustle, Believe, Receive. So I'm a big, big, <laughs> big proponent on the fact that if you want something, you have to do the groundwork. You have to build it. You have to be willing to work for it. Um, and there is so much myth out there that, you know, if I'm called to do something, it should come easily. It should be, you know, a no brainer, whatever. And it's just like, I'm on a mission to debunk that. So the fact that you started out by saying the show is not the success I, I had built it before the show came is everything right. It was 17. Well, I think, I think, I think for people to recognize that in a world where I do believe social media has created some form of narcissism, right? In people people believing that, you know, if you have a big social media numbers and, you know, you've got your own show out there, then you've made it. You know, if I help one family, then then I've made it, right? Because I'm helping one family that are going to have an impact on their kids and their kids' kids and you're changing generational patterns of behaviour, right? Um, and making a difference in that family. But when you're looking, you know, some people don't know. Some people don't know what their purpose is. Like I never went out intentionally to say, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I love to do. So, and I had, you know, I had the experience of, you know, babysitting and, you know, when I was younger, a Saturday job, you know, I worked in a shop where, um, you know, I helped women, Um, who were pregnant and so I think for anyone who says to themselves I don't really know what I really want to do just yet and why haven't I found that just get out and hustle and have the experience of doing just different things like say yes to different things don't limit yourself because 
eventually you're going to find something that you really love waking up for. And actually, when we say it doesn't feel like work, it's because time flies and you really yeah. enjoy doing what you're doing. Right. You know? And when you find that, when you find that, then what you do is like, it's like an empty pit, like an empty pit. Like you just, you don't get tired of it. Like you just, you know, sometimes my husband has to say to me, okay, Joe, like that's enough. Like you know, you've, been, <laughs> you've been working for this, you know, take a break now because you just, you just love what you do. Right. Right? It's almost like an extension of you. It's like a body part almost when you really have found kind of that thing that that you love. And you, you mentioned also the fact that it came through an opportunity and I'm a huge believer in, um, you know, creating outcomes that we want. And one of the ways I believe that they show up in our life is through an opportunity. And most of the time, or a lot of the time people will miss them because they'll be like, well, I didn't think I was this or that. And so expectations. Yeah. You put an expectation on yourself. It's like, you put an expectation and a hurt basically in a hurdle um, before you so that if something comes up that you think ideally doesn't look like how maybe you think or expect it should look like, you turn it down. It's kind of like if I give the analogy of the dating world, if you give yourself an expectation of the type of guy you should be dating, then you're going to say no to everyone else that doesn't fit that description. And you'll miss, (laughs) you'll miss the one. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And, um, you know, I just, I had said kind of off, uh, off camera before we got started here, how impactful, um, watching the show. So I, I mean, I feel like I got it in on the first, (laughs) the first episode started airing here in like 2005 and, my son was two at the time. Um, and naturally he's, he's just a good kid. He's just one of those that was kind of born with that spirit of like wanting to do right. And, you know, so thank God, because for the most part, you know, he, he, I could talk to him and he would, even at two, he would understand what I want. And for the, for the most part. And so I was kind of struggling, like on the times when I did need to discipline him, what do I do? Because I grew up with corporal punishment. I was like, that's never right. happened. <laughs> um, yes. So what do I do to a two-year-old? And I remember trying so clearly, I can still see it in my mind, um, trying the naughty spot for the first time. And he had a little rickety uh, little stool that he would sit on. And I think probably the fact that it was rickety helped <laughs> a bit because he was like, I do not want to sit on that. Um, but I was so amazed at how quickly and effective it was you know it was even so effective that if we were at the grocery store and I sensed there might be a meltdown coming all I would have to say is would you like to go to the nice spot when we get home if you continue this behavior and you'd be like nope so can you you bring up a good point you bring up a good point because people use the naughty step with the wrong application you clearly watched details understood thoroughly when you would apply the the naughty step. And I think it's important today because we have, we do have backlash about those saying that one shouldn't use it. And I think it's important for all your viewers to recognize that a loving parent is one that does need to discipline and have self-discipline. Absolutely, absolutely. 
There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. A loving parent is one who needs to be assertive and not authoritarian or passive aggressive. Right. But truly, um, you know, what I say, mean what you say, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. You know, you have to be very um, sure about what you want. You have to stop to become more intentional with your language, which means it comes back to us, the parent. We have to think about how we have more self-discipline with our own emotional regulations so that we are able to recognize that the correct application of a naughty step is a teachable moment. Absolutely. It is a a boundary that allows our children to compose their own behavior, for us to compose ourselves because parents can, you know, lose their tempers and get frustrated and to actually see it as a teachable moment about where the boundaries lie so that they can learn from the experience. And, you know, if, if you're using it because you're trying to control the child, then it's going to backfire and it sends the wrong message because your relationship should still be an open, loving one. And your child should always know that regardless of consequences, whether they're good consequences or not so good consequences, your child is not defined by their behavior, that you love them anyway, regardless of how they decide to show up. You know what I love so much about it is one of the the language that I would use on my kids when it's still the language I think we use is if the behavior is whatever, you know, back talking, you name it, whatever the child is doing, (laughs) insert it here, right? Um, We, our name for it was that's unacceptable, right? Or that's unacceptable behavior. So rather than kind of like putting the onus on, you know, my mom's generation was like, you're unacceptable, (laughs) you know, like you're a bad person. So, you know, we were always kind of cognizant of that, but I think what it really empowers a parent to do is a couple things. One, it's consistency, right? So on the fly, the parent doesn't have to think, what am I going to do if, you know, my kid threw their plate across the floor four times and I told him not to, you know, like they know exactly what the step is. It's the same kind of every time. And we're talking like young kids, at least. Right. So, so that can you can't have what you're saying. Yeah, what you're saying is very true, but you can't have that until you're a parent who understands your values. So I always say to parents, what do you value in your family? Because you know, Sarah, values belong to us all, regardless of our religion, our color, our political um you know, agenda, you know, it it belongs to us all. So what are your values? Are your values that we respect ourselves, each other, the home that we live in, others, their homes, property, you know, what are your values? Because until you really understand, you know, the values that you have in how you're raising your children, how are you going to set what those rules are in your home, in your own home, so that you can talk to your children and say, look, we value as as a family, showing up and being kind to one another because this behavior is not acceptable when you decide to behave x y and z and understanding you know how we can have um, a dialogue that keeps the child open to emotionally still express and to articulate how they're feeling so that we understand is this a situation where we just need to talk things through we need to give them a moment to calm down or is this a child who absolutely decided 
that because things didn't go their way, they're now going to, um, you know, show up and intimidate by throwing a plate or doing what you're saying, you know? Yeah, willfully kind of disobeying, if you will. Well, I think, you know, one of the the other tools that it gave me, so um, kind of just a little background on my story, I found out that my... um, husband had been cheating when in 2008 when my twins were like a year old and my son was five and a half and it was it was like instantaneous like our marriage ended in like 30 minutes it was just this crazy blow bomb dropping that just destroyed everything for a long time and um and so I had gone from a place of you know being a parent um in a two-parent household where I felt like okay I have you know I have this kind of down I'm making organic baby food myself you know like I felt proud of myself I was getting up every day and you know wasn't totally covered in vomit that type thing but then <laughs> this happened and just my world the yeah. next day was unrecognizable you know so not only was I trying to figure out tangibly like okay what do I do where do I get a house blah blah, blah. but then it dawned on me pretty quickly like now you got to figure out how to parent in this environment and I think one of one of the things I'm really grateful for is that um somehow, some way, and it, I I don't even want it. I don't take credit for it, but I think I had the realization that being a parent had always been so important to me. That was something I wanted to do when I was like six years old. I just had loved babies my whole life. I took parenting seriously. So I, my first thought was, I don't want my children, their childhood to be sacrificed because of this situation. Right. So how do I show up and still be the type of parent that I always intended to be but now in this ultra stressed, compressed, no help, no days off type of environment. And that's where I think your tools saved me just to no end, because something like that discipline tool gives both of you a breather, you know, and part of that technique is like, you don't talk during that. You're taking that moment to think about what's going on. And as a parent, you know, back then I had, I had, you know, two girls that were 14 months old and a five-year-old. So there's a lot going on, you know, um, and just even giving that moment to kind of, it gives you a chance to compose yourself. It gives you a chance to make sure you're not just saying things, you know, in, in the heat of the moment. And then the thing, Joe, that I think is really magical about it. And, you know, I, I feel bad if people are getting backlash because they're just not getting the true magic of it or the true point of it is that after that, after both of you have had a moment to think, you come together and you talk about it. And you do that whether your child is two or whatever. And so now my son who's eight, you know, 18 years old has this great communication gift that he knows if it's a moment, you know, and, and he or, or me or is frustrated, we take a breather, we come mm-hmm. back 15 minutes later and we talk about it. And it's great. <laughs> you know, like that, that's what that teaches. Well, it's with what you're saying is actively, it's actively emotionally detaching yourself at the moment actively. So you're not ignoring, you're not um, abandoning, you're not rejecting. You are actively giving each other the space that is necessary respectfully, right? To understand, because, you know, a child is never at that age in another room by themselves. They're always in proximity of the parents to just be able to calm down a moment. And, you know, like 
like I've said in uh, my book, Toddler Rules, that there is a thing of being able to recognize uh, the different types of, of meltdowns and temper tantrums that children have, because we seem to be under the um, delusion. Um, and I, I did actually point this out on my um, IG today, um, that, you know, tough love is, is a bad thing. And actually tough love is creating a boundary that is tough for the child, could be tough for the parent because they've never done it before, but you do it because you love. So, yeah. you, you know, parents have to be really mindful of what they're reading and what they're choosing to read because, you know, when we start to twist words and make the word tough love seem like it's authentarian and neglectful, then we're going to start making parents think about what they're doing and starting to feel guilty and shame about that. Like any tough love is something you know that you need to do because you love, but you don't want right. to do it. No parent wants to put their kid in a timeout. No right. parent wants to say no to their kid. Most parents would rather want to say yes. But the truth of the matter is, you know, being a parent that's assertive, more conscientious, more mindful is a parent that does sometimes have to say uh, not today or uh, actually absolutely no you cannot walk in at three o'clock in the morning at a party when you are only you know 14 years old you know so again that's what I see tough lovers being not some form of iron hand or corporal punishment absolutely and I couldn't agree more I think that um, you know, you talk a lot about schedule and routines and, and boundaries and things like that, like providing them, you know, in your home and helping them stick to them. And I have to tell you, there is no way I would have survived those first five years as a solo parent. Um, I did not have a support system. I didn't have family coming in and watching the kids or anything for the most part every day, day in and day out was me and the kids. Um, and that gets to be a lot, right? There's those days where you're like, I need to go into the bathroom and scream real quick to myself and then come back out and like, Absolutely. you know, there's those moments, but I think, um, because I had kind of seen you implement that. And I love the way you do it because you do do it with love. You do it with firmness, but never anger with love. You also always get down and you are eye level with the child always, which I've always done and always did do with my kids. I loved that. Um, and even now to this day, if I'm talking to any kid, I'm always getting down on their level to talk to them. Huge, huge, huge. It might seem like a small thing, but parents, if you're not doing it, do it. It helps you just, just, I don't even know, (laughs) Joe, maybe you know exactly what it does, but it just changes the dynamic. I do know. I do know what it is. That's why I ask parents to do it. The importance of being able to have eye contact um, is to be able to have um, a serious conversation. It's the first point of, of communication in a healthy way is to have eye contact you feel heard you feel seen when you are able to hold contact eye contact and to come down to a child's level is not to intimidate them it's to be able to you know come down to a child's level so that you will you are equally as human beings respectful to one another in the conversation that you will have with the simple language and the appropriate um conversation 
per the child's age. So it's really important to be able to do that because it, you know, try, um, you know, I say to parents, you know, try sitting on the floor and looking up to right. another adult. You, you'll yeah. see how intimidating that is. And considering 90% of our language is body language, um, it's really important to understand that sometimes your words do not always dance the waltz with your body language. And so when we can be in unison with what we're saying and how our body is reflecting that, um, then we have a better outcome in teaching our children, by example, how to have healthier communication. So if you're a parent right now that feels like your child never listens to you, I will say the first thing to do is to start having conversations with them on the same level, using yeah. eye contact and not kind of wailing between the walls. Molly, come down here. Right, right. Yes. Yep. You know? No, it's, it's huge. And, and you also, and, and I have always done as well with my kids is you get down on their level in good times and bad too. I think that helps a lot too. So yeah. when you're praising them, you're on their level, just when you're interacting with them, you're on their level. So it's not something that they're like, oh God, mom's kneeling down. I'm in trouble. You know, it's not that at all. It's actually, I feel like less intimidating. I always got, um, you know, they always honed in and were listening. And even just the act of changing my body versus like, say, if I'm in the kitchen telling, you know, my child not to rub hummus all over the couch, (laughs) still, which (laughs) happened by the way, and they're still doing it you know, versus me continuing to kind of yell at them to stop from, you know, seeing them do it across the room, walking over to them, getting on their level saying, we don't do that. That's, you know, not acceptable. That's disrespecting exactly. whatever. Right. You know, like even exactly. that act is helping me get a breath. Right. And just say, just take a second and, and just kneeling down was another thing that just those little things that help you kind of catch your breath as a parent and get in the space that you want to interact with your mm-hmm. child. And I grew up with, um, you know, a very, in a very kind of destructive, um, parenting kind of situation, uh, with my mother who is bipolar and abusive and, and whatever. And so I think if, think my consciousness was always very raised that I wanted to show up differently. So maybe that was a a good thing for me. Um, but I think those little tricks helped me in the moment to remember that, to say, wait a second, take a breath. What would you like to say? (laughs) You know, and I think, yeah, I think think a shift for you, you know, and I think for anyone who has come from, um, adverse childhood experiences like yourself, Um, become adults that recognize that once they have children it triggers the life experience of having to work on oneself so that you can actually raise your children in a healthy dynamic that breaks the generational pattern of dysfunction so the first thing I would say to to any parent who can uh, relate um, to your own experience Sarah would be to take a moment as an adult to recognize how you can calm your own nervous system, recognize um, how you can check in with your own emotions. You may be a highly functioning, anxious person. You may be somebody who um, is triggered emotionally and reacts rather than responds. And if we can do the things that help us, um, ourselves as adults, if we can take a moment to box breathe take a moment to do to become more mindful in the shower or if we're taking a bath or washing up it would take 
you know, the time to just do things, maybe it's singing, uh, maybe it's uh, just pottering around doing something we really love or shifting our energy to a space that uplifts us by some great music that always makes us feel good. What we're doing is giving our body a chance to really calm down out of that um, fight or flight um, circumstance that we feel stuck in. And it allows us to be able to respond to our children better as we become better equipped as adults in handling our own emotional regulation. And we've only got to look um, outside our own homes to recognize with children fighting in schools, um, uh, passengers uh, punching and being violent to flight attendants on airplanes and the atrocious behavior and disrespect we're seeing from one human being to another, that we are in a state right now um, that has revealed what already exists and what has been the dominoes effect of the pandemic as well. Yeah. You know, so we've got, a, we've got some work to do um, on ourselves so that we can be a more compassionate society, you know? Absolutely. And you brought up, you brought up a really good point that I definitely wanted to ask you about, you know, my daughters are 14. They just started um, high school about a month ago and they spent the entire last 18 months pretty much at home. Um, they spent an entire year. So where we live, which is in Oregon, um, there was no school for an entire year. They, they were home. Um, and for most of that, they, you know, the first six months, no one was even leaving the house. Quite honestly, I was like doing the grocery shopping and that was about it. And I think a year and a half after that, the effects are, you know, I started noticing the effects really quickly about six months. I was like, Ooh, you know, from a social, um, interaction standpoint, from an anxiety standpoint. Um, and of course going from, being totally at home then to going into high school and kind of skipping seventh and, you know, most of eighth grade is kind of traumatic as well. And I know teens are really suffering with depression, with anxiety in ways that we've never seen before or are, are much different, I think, than they have been in the past. What are you seeing and what are some tips? Um, yeah. you know, like for my daughters, especially they got a lot quieter. They definitely are much less interested in making friends. They love their mask and never want to take it off because they think it's their invisible shield, you know, like, whoa, where did this come from? And how do we, how do we get through this? You know? Well, we've got through it so far. I think for any parent asking, we have already got through it so far. So number one, we are a lot stronger than what we think. So I would ask every parent right now to remind themselves of how strong they are once that little negative thought comes in your head of how we're going to get through this. Well, you've already got through it for over 18 months already. Yeah. So kudos uh, to all those parents um, through these troubling times uh, that we um, have been through and hopefully at the, coming to the end of so that we are moving into a new normal. Um, I think that there has always been a mental health crisis in this country. Um, I think it starts with supporting uh, families um, and their wellness so that there is equity and equality in every family having that support. 
I think it starts with making sure that we can educate and help our families from grassroots up um, so that um, they are able to provide for their families um, and to have opportunities to be able to thrive rather than survive mm -hmm. and being in survival mode. Um, and I feel that we're seeing the dominoes effect. Like I've said uh, at the beginning of um, 2020, uh, children have been the silent witnesses of this pandemic. And COVID um, highlighted all the issues that were there before that we just continued to ignore and carry on and carry on and carry on in the grind. Um, and it also presented um, new issues uh, as well due to uh, the gravity of this uh, pandemic worldwide. And I think now we have learned to uh, regulate at our own pace. Um, I think that uh, some of us have done really well in being able to create uh, boundaries and bubbles and to address issues that um, were always there. I think it's hopefully made us prioritize what's important, what's not. When we look at the death toll in this country alone and the impact that it's had on women um, right. leaving the workforce um, and rethinking about what they are going to do for a living. Um, I think it's put uh, a sense of uh, importance more so uh, on affordable housing and childcare. And so, you know, children are not exempt from the energy of this that parents right. have had to be dealing with every day. So when you have children now going to school, we have to look at what are we providing them informational wise that allows them to feel safe in the environment that they're in? How are we regulating these classes that give them a break um, so that they're not in classes all day long without sufficient recess. We have teachers right now um, that are burnt out, period. And they are in the classrooms doing the best that they can. We have a lack of sleep. We have a lack of communication. We have burnt out, um, you know, teachers and pupils and this is the effect of emotional burnout and you know uh, mental burnout right and mental health and so you know we have to look at how we're going to adjust adjust we can't just go back and go oh well we've had a global pandemic but you know what that's okay when we're human beings, but let's just act like robots and um, we'll still meet the demands that we were doing beforehand two years ago. It's yeah, just not going to, it's not going to cut it. Right. It's not going to cut it. Kids, yeah. you know, they've got sensory overload. You know, kids are, you know, they're, they're reacting. Um, they, are, they are behaving out what's going on inside them, you know. And yes, we do need to... Um, you know, regulate uh, this behavior, but it comes from an empathetic standpoint of giving these kids and these parents and these teachers truly the support. And I believe right now, I believe that the, um, the support is, is short, you right. know, it's short on the help. Yeah, you know? it definitely is. It definitely is. And I think, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about it earlier about how different it is to parent 
at the different stages of your kid's life. Um, parents who've been through all yes. the stages, they know what we're talking about. But when you're going through it the first time, you feel like, oh my God, what, what happened? I thought I had a handle on it. And then everything kind of changes and um, puberty and middle school and just all these different phases. And, and then the teenage years, you know, um, so do you have, some, do you have some, uh, suggestions? And then I actually went out to my audience and, uh, wanted to know some questions they wanted to ask you. So I have a couple of fun ones to, to ask you from them as well. But one of mine is kind of the new thing that I am navigating is, uh, you know, teenage daughters are at the, the age right now where they're in the quiet phase or they're coming out of it a little bit. I would say, um, seventh grade was probably, they went through that awkward stage. I remember going through it. I know it's, you know, common or whatever, but it, it was so different for me because we were always a very close talkative family. And so I was kind of like, wait, (laughs) what am I getting two word answers for? Like today was okay. You know, like what? Um, so any tips or tools (laughs) just kind of like how to, how to keep them open and kind of maybe even just make this period a little smoother (laughs) I'll take anything you got girl (laughs) well I think it's two sides I think one we've got to look at the wellness of the family period so I think it's important that we are mindful of the types of foods that we're putting in our body even we can just make small you know small little changes I think has a huge impact on our body's period because if we're feeding our bodies with you know too much sugar too much salt you know we know scientifically that what goes into our gut is going to affect our minds as well. I think there are certain patterns of behavior that we can change so that our rituals and our habits become healthier, alluding to us having healthier uh, sleep. I think we've got to look at biggest, we've got to look at screen time with teenagers. They are learning to communicate. They have communicated. They socialize in a virtual world. We need to bring them back to earth. And we need to bring them back into the kitchens, the living rooms, the play, you know, the play spaces uh, that we can now do. And that happens slowly but surely that getting them back into the space of, you know, making actual face to face uh, time, you know, having having sleepovers, going to your friend's house, hanging out and doing this for the day. Um, You know, we've got to get back eventually, slowly but surely into recognizing having conversations that may be awkward for a lot of parents but are necessary like I say to parents like I say to parents when you live in a country where people have the right to bear arms you have a right as a parent to say look you know this is our stance are you safe is this okay this is the bubble you know my kids would like to do a sleepover you know we've got to get our kids back into a space where we're doing things a little bit more openly with them um and that we are embracing the new normal of them not virtually socializing but actually meeting up with other friends and socializing and they got to adjust to it too, right? They got to, they always are watching. So they, they got to see if we're practicing what we preach and are getting together and making time for our friends and not well, just. Doing time. And- well, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's truly the importance of connection, you know, true authentic connection feels good. Yeah. You know, uh, when you're happy as a family, you feel calm, you feel peace, you right. know, um, 
you know, happiness, I do believe, is a state of mind. I don't think, you know, you can keep all your kids happy at the same time. Sometimes it feels like, oh, my God, like I can keep none of these kids happy. Like they're all complaining today. And, you know, actually, that's okay because um, your job is not to keep your kids happy all day long. And your job is not to be a puppeteer for them, you know. Um, It's important that they are able to sit and work things out themselves and we don't snowplow um you know for our children we need them to feel we need them to think we need them to sit down and have the support but to process in this themselves i mean you know this is the point of talking about having more you know mental resilience you know and adversity in these times but with compassion and yeah. with fun so you know it's been it's it's been a tall order and it's put a lot of strain on families. I would encourage us to see the pockets of humor, the moments where we can let our hair down and just, you know, lighten up and be a little bit silly. Moments where we can give ourselves some relief because, you know, everything ebbs and flows. Everything moves. What was, you know, what was in March 2020, I think we can all say is not what it was you know, March 2021, you know, things do move forward. Um, and, it, you know, it is a choice for us to say, look, this is what we're going to handle. We're going to handle it the best that we can. Recognise what you can and what you can't control. Get our kids actually meeting face-to-face where we've having some friends over, maybe them going over there, communicate more with parents. Yeah. But they live, in, they live in this virtual technology world and you know, it's done them no favours because it has created some social anxiety with them mixing back in the class, you know? It really has. has. And I think the interesting thing, even so my son is five and a half years older than my daughters. And when he was their age, he was on Xbox, but all his friends were on Xbox. So they talked the entire time. Like I could hear them, you know, shouting and, you know, like hearing each other on or whatever. So it was like this literally group chat for what, how many hours a day. Right. But now my daughter's generation is a TikTok generation and they are not a creator generation at all, which is a whole nother thing. I don't know where the creators are coming from in 10 years because this generation is a more of a voyeur. Like they're just consuming. Um, they're much too nervous about putting themselves up, you know, like my daughter and all their friends, all of them have accounts, but none of them post anything on their stuff. They just watch other people's. And so what that has turned into is they're actually not interacting, not even the way that my sons was four years ago, five years ago, because they're not talking to anybody on that. They're just scrolling. And so it really has changed. And I think for me as a, as a parent, one of the things that I've done to try and combat that a little bit is we have sleepovers. Their friends are over here every, every week. So whenever that is available, um, we do that as well. I always make sure dinner time is no phone time. We watch a show together every, every night. So that's part of our nighttime routine. Um, oh, you, oh, you super nanny rules. You, oh, yeah. you were an addict. No, I told nanny. you. <laughs> you. Yeah, you. I haven't even got to the routine part, but we have to, we have to just, we have to kick on that just really quickly because that has saved my life. So I've been single parenting now for 13 years and that means doing it totally by myself without any support system. Um, and it's the routine. People ask me all the time, like, okay, how do you have a full-time job and write books and do all this stuff and be the only parent for your kids? And it's routine management. 
routine. <laughs> we yeah, we'll, have, we'll, we'll talk about the benefits of the routine. And I'll end with the last question you asked me is this. We need to have conversation with our kids. We need our kids to know that they can talk to us about anything and that we're not going to react or shun them or not see or hear them. And it's important for us to find those moments where your kid might just be scrolling on the phone and you kind of just jump on the sofa and they're like, mom. And you're like, how are you doing? What's going on? Right. What's happening? You know, and you have moments where you just talk about something that then leads into something else. And then before you know it, your kids are actually talking to you about maybe something that's happened at school or something that's concerning them. We need to be able to be in that space so that our children feel safe enough to emotionally talk about what's on their mind because none of us, even us who have been helping, none of us escaped the pandemics and you know, uh, the the impact of it, you know, so kids have feelings too, and kids have worries and concerns. And, um, you know, we want them to know that they can come to us and that they can share. And sometimes it's not about fixing. Sometimes teenagers just want to tell you what's been going on and, you know, use, you know, use the conversation as a soundboard. And I was thinking about this, and I'm not too sure. And then I was thinking about that, you know what, actually, this is what I'm going to do. I've made my mind. I think I'm going to do that. And you just right. like, okay, yep. well, if you feel good about that, then you know what, then go ahead. I mean, if you don't try, you won't know. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And sometimes that's all that it is. You know, it's not about going in and fixing everything, but just being there for them to know that they can come to you because you know, what you laid down in the early years, seven, eight, nine, is what they're going to take with them in those teenage years. And, you know, kids, you know, in those teenage years, they're going to make lots of decisions and the outcomes are not always going to be what they hoped. And we want to know and hope that they will always pick up the phone and say to us, mom, dad, oh my God, I screwed up. And right. you know what? I don't think it was the best thing, but um, um, I'm coming home or can you come and pick me up? And you're there. Yep. Kids need to know that we're there for them, that we're there for them. Yep, exactly. I, I think all of my, my approach to parenting has always been, like you said earlier, the teachable moments. I, I think my kind of my number one thing in the back of my head always has been raising my kids was that, you know, I am their teacher. I always took that as a very serious kind of responsibility. Obviously, my first role is to love them, but kind of pretty close second is I want to teach them things. So, you know, when they were babies, I would be like, this is how we do laundry, you know, like whatever it was, whatever I was doing. Life skills, life skills. Yeah. I was explaining, I was, you know, showing them how to do things and, you know, we travel a lot internationally. And so whenever we go places, I would show them how to navigate an airport. And now I can go anywhere with kids and I don't have to do a thing. They're navigating us through an airport. So things like that, I think have helped kind of keep that, um, you know, and giving them the skills and, and all of that. But I do want to end on some tips on routine because, yes. uh, you know, in the early days that routine, I, I worked a full-time job back in the very beginning. Um, and then I would come home and have to get them from daycare. And, and like most parents, you only have like three hours a day with your kids. If you're working full-time, um, you mm-hmm. know, you have that little slot around dinner where most of the time your kids are really tired, especially if they're very young, you know, I get them from daycare and they, that was meltdown phase. <laughs> they had a long day by then. 
Um, and so I made that time from the very beginning, I made those three hours completely sacred. And I would tell my bosses, I'm completely off the grid for until eight o'clock at night. And that was, that was my thing. And so I would get down and I would play with them or I cook dinner, take them to the park or whatever. And then religious, religious bedtime routine. Um, and they were in bed by eight o'clock every single night. I didn't extend bedtime. I know parents are going to roll their eyes, but I did not extend bedtime until I absolutely had to. I think my son was probably in seventh grade. Um, I just now gave my daughters who are freshmen in high school at nine 30 and that's brand new. They, yeah. it, it had been nine till then, but you know what? There's never been pushback really, because it is just what it's always been. You know what I mean? It is, well, well, I think it's a bit of both because I can hear some of your, I can hear some of your viewers going, yeah, but my kid's not like that. I never do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think you certainly, I mean, look, you honored the importance of what a routine provides and that is to meet the needs of your children, to have quality time with them, to be consistent, to have boundaries that, you know, support really healthy um, cornerstones of meal times and sleep, the importance of sleep and no sleep deprivation for a family, for you to have the space that you needed for longevity, sustainability as a working mother, and to recognize the times that you were going to have, you were going to be present. A lot of parents spend time where the lights are on, but no one's at home. You can have your kids in the same room as you, but actually feel that they are not connected to you. So I would say to any parent out there who's saying, well, Sarah, that's really great. You had three hours. Like, I'm lucky if I even get 90 minutes. Right. It's not so much the time, but what it is, is the consistency. So having the consistency of Monday to Friday, then knowing that on a weekday, you're going to come home. The first thing you're going to do when you pick them up from school is to spend time with them, talking about their day, what they did, what's hanging out, what should we do for the weekend, or playing a game with them, playing some cards, doing some coloring that they want to just do with you, or mommy, draw me this, or daddy, do this, you know, is actually you saying, this is our time, this is our quality time, and it's consistent, it builds trust, the child knows and has that emotional connection with you that, that you have fed their soul in that way, like we need as parents when we have had to work to put bread and butter on the table, our kids are in nursery at school, and we are longing to see them and to hang out with them and to find out how their day has been as well. It makes for um, a healthier, more stable family um, and that is a safer place for a child. Hence, everything else becomes a lot easier. So I feel that, you know, if you can be consistent with the time that you treasure, then you can go to work. And I do believe, even though I know it's a hard pill to swallow, I do think there's a justification that when you get those pangs of guilt, you can say to yourself, look, I need to work yep. because I'm working to do my best exactly. to make sure that I give myself and my family a better future than where we're at right now but the time that I do spend is valuable and they know it and I know it and yeah. you know what they grow up knowing that and they grow up knowing that you're doing the best that you can and it's the real picture not the fantasy of what it looks like to be a single mum but the reality of really what it means to be a, to be a single mum when you're working your butt off 
you know, to do better for yourself and you're coming home, you know, and you want to spend time with your kids because you haven't seen them. And you're asking yourself in the back of your mind, am I enough? Is this enough? Is this going to be enough? It is going to be enough, but we have to be mindful of that and be consistent of it. And it's what you know, to a T, my God, I think you must be my best pupil. Seriously. <laughs> oh my God, girl. And I have, you know, I have the whole rest of the list too. Yeah, so it's like, funny it's because doing. people have asked me for a long time, you know, because I've been putting videos and sharing my story for now 12 of the 13 years. So pretty much since the beginning. Um, and, and people have always going, you know, like, how do you manage stuff? And literally it's because I learned these tools. You know, if I think back to, um, those early days or even today, kind of how I interact with my kids in my mind, I can see an episode that you did where you're telling the mom, Hey, instead of doing the laundry, come out for 20 minutes and play Legos with your kids in the living room, you know, just things like that. Like they they actually stuck with me. So in those moments, in those three hours, it gave me the agency to do exactly that to interact with them and yeah, like, to prioritize trust me you it's know? like it was not always perfect and it was not always great but having that set of like this is a model i can follow and it makes me feel in control as best i can be right that you're, that you're managing the situation and that yeah. basically means to any parent listening you have to prioritize we live in a society that gives merit and calls mothers badasses when they spin 50 plates oh my god look at her oh my god she looks so good oh my god look and actually you're worn down you're tired you're depleted you could cry in a second and you feel like how much more can I give when the purse is empty and the reality is the spiritual lesson is what plates do I really need to be spinning which ones are that important and which ones make a difference Because in your family, you have to prioritize when you say yes and when you say no. And you do have to have those healthy boundaries because even your kids need to learn how to have those with you and with their other siblings. Absolutely. And I want to say the last thing on routine is that guess what? It was selfish too. (laughs) I mean, and I love, I have no problem saying that at all. So, so any parent who's thinking I could never put a routine in that's too much work or my kids would never do that or whatever, literally go watch Nanny, (laughs) Nanny Joe's show. You will see that literally any situation you can get that to happen but moms dads the magic of it is that at 8 10 you can pour yourself a glass of wine or you can get your tea and you can sit and watch your show in peace and that's you know so it it really does allow you to have those times of and those pockets of self you know it does and i'm giving it up it does i'll give two tips for the routine uh, one is to start off with the cornerstones, the things that are a guarantee. Mealtime, school, when you go to work, start off like that. Work yourself backwards from when your kids have got to be up because you've got to get them to school and work yourself backwards of the times that they need to be going to bed because sleep and a lack of it is nobody's best friend. I think, Sarah, we use sleep deprivation and the Tower of London for history right. with, with anyone, right? Right. Um, you know, and I think it's important when you're first starting off writing um, down a routine, don't put it in your phone because it means that you have to go into it to see what you want. Is it up on the wall like I used to give to families? And there was a reason why I did that. 
And it wasn't for television, although obviously it worked for television. It was because I needed those parents to walk back and forth, back and forth and sublimely take in what was on that routine so that they would start to remember it and then it would become their autopilot yep. that they would remember and I you know I just finished doing season eight uh, with the Sutherland family and this mother had uh, four kids under the age of five and she kept that routine up that we did for the twins and for her other two and um, she kept that up for over a year it's imprinted there in her mind yep. and it was great because you know you could take your kids to the uh, routine and actually say to your nine-year-old, look. They I'm know it, yeah, they'll involved. know it. Yeah, it's good <laughs> for your older kids to be involved and feel that they have, you know, they are a part of, you know, their everyday, you know, schedule, you know, that they're living by themselves and not just being, you know, told what to do, but that this is why we have this. It will give time for you to go to soccer, come back, you know, do your homework so that you're not tired doing it after soccer. You know, it, it yep. gives them um, the teachable moment as well, you know. Oh, I love this so much. I, I could literally steal all your time, but I won't. Guys, go out and watch the show. So, Joe, I know you have a new season out. Can you tell us a little bit more um, about all the good stuff? You have four books. I mean, there's a lot of content for parents to there's- learn. There's six books out that you can buy. Oh my on gosh, Amazon. I need a new one. <laughs> yeah, it's six books out on Amazon.com. Um, the shows are, well, they're everywhere. You know, the shows are everywhere yep, right now. Stream them um, on any, I think it was uh, Lifetime. Yep. Streaming, and, uh, streaming them on apps right now, different streaming apps. Um, and I have six different formats of different shows, they're all, you know, I really love them because they're all about helping families in one creative different capacity than the other, you know? So um, again, um, families are, are finding the archives of this, of these parenting tips and techniques. And if you also go to joefrost.com, uh, you will see on my website, there is pages and pages of family advice. Um, and for those of you who are like, mm, I've read books, I've tried parenting coaches I've tried to do this myself and I want the help then you know Sarah I, I do private consultation I, I, I do what I did before TV which is so. just amazing I can't even believe that you yeah. are so amazing and you know I've been sending clients to YouTube to because to, I you know I didn't know where else to go so they can find the episodes um you guys can find the episodes yeah watch an episode from start to finish, because then you will see the transformation that the tools Joe teaches and how they work and how they change the energy of a home. And I can't tell you how many times I send parents there. I say, Hey, this is what you do for that. Go, go search up this. You'll find the video and it works you guys. So if there's, you know, we all have ups and downs as parents, um, no matter what stage your kids are in, but there are tools out there. There is a handbook out there and there is, there, there is. I've been raising my kids on it and I, I would not be here without it. That's the, the bottom line. So I cannot thank you personally enough um, for helping me be, this makes me want to cry, the best parent that I can be and show up in the best way that I can for my kids. <laughs> makes me cry. Um, so it is emotional to get this chance to, you know, thank you in person. Sarah, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's really touched me. Thank you. 
Well, you are changing lives, girl, and you're impacting growing humans, you know, like the next generation. Oh, <laughs> actual humans, not children, you. actual humans <laughs> walking around. Oh, so oh, it's awesome. Everybody go to uh, joefrost.com and go follow her on Instagram as well. And let us know your thoughts about this show. Please send it to every parent, you know, definitely any single parents, you know, I mean, like I said, couldn't live without this. So thank you so much for being here. And until next time, everybody go hustle and thrive. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And remember, if you got value from today's show, please spread the love by clicking subscribe, leaving a stellar review and telling everyone, you know, and join us next time on the Sarah Centrella show.